This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Broadbent. Joining me once again is my co-host, Richie Schneiderite, and Rutgers beat reporter slash part-time co-host, Craig Epstein. Guys, big-time win for Rutgers last night in a game they really kind of had to have to keep their, um, their postseason hopes alive. Rutgers won an overtime game against Nebraska, 87-82. One of the stranger games I can remember watching in quite some time. Um, just from the free-throw shooting to suddenly being able to, to rebound again. Um, just one of the wilder games I can remember in quite a while. Uh, Craig, you were at the game. What were some of your uh, your impressions from being there and kind of what you saw? Is everything okay back then? Yeah, was my dog. I don't know what's going okay. on. <laughs> okay, cool. But yeah, like you said, one of the more uh, stranger games, they, uh, they seemingly... Uh, figured out the rebounding because at 56 a program as a program record in the Big Ten game. I mean, wow! Just about everybody seemed to get rebounds yesterday, and uh, they battled back. You know, the, they were down by 12 in the second half, but they just kept battling and battling against a team like Nebraska, who we said is a really good, sh- really good shooting team. But Rutgers pretty much matched them and were able to, you know, use their defense to really propel them. Because I mean, we talked about Alaska where Rutgers went. Uh, about maybe 14 minutes without a without a field goal if you combined both uh, droughts in each half. I mean, Nebraska yesterday, if you combine their droughts, they went about 15 minutes without a field goal. So the fact that that even the fact that that even happened and the game was even that close is kind of surprising. But then when you look at the free throws and the uh, layups, you kind of figured out why. But uh, well, credit to Rutgers, they played they played well, they shot well against a really good shooting team, and in the end, took it to overtime and made the free throws when they needed them and and really came away with a really memorable win. Yeah, no, I mean, they're kind of hitting everything. Um, they played defense. It was a nitty gritty, typical Rutgers, old school, Pykele team game. Um, they rebounded, which was beautiful. Everyone rebounded, not just Cliff. Although Cliff did have 15. <clears throat> uh, Derek Simpson had eight. Like everyone rebounded, but the, the free throws were abysmal like they they probably could have won that in regulation if they just hit like i don't know one more free throw <laughs> like um 53 is a little rough but great defense um tobinaga still got his 16 which was kind of expected but uh i thought Derek played pretty well on him um i thought i thought the game as a whole they, they they just had a really good game they played really well guys came off the bench gavin griffiths like one of the cut that one clutch three and i'm like oh is he back is he back mm, he's almost there um, but now he, he's still, he's still having his struggles a little bit and his minutes are still down technically. Um, I think he only played like six or seven, but 
uh, yeah, no, I, I thought the starting lineup had a hell of a game, and that's the biggest reason for uh, for this victory. Yeah, they absolutely could have won that game in, in regulation if the free throw shooting yeah. was a little bit better. Uh, and I, I don't even think it's like that far of a stretch. Like they started the game eleven for twenty five from the line. Thankfully, they finished five for five to, or four for five, uh, four for four. Sorry, no, five for five. Um, yeah, to finish up sixteen for for thirty. Uh, but yeah, that was just putrid. Like yeah. Cliff missed a bunch of really clutch uh, free throws at the end. Austin Williams missed uh, also you know, two. Uh, free throws back to back. Um, there was just was so many. Up. I think he started yeah, off it, four. He missed those first four. Yeah, it was it was an ugly performance uh, from the line. Uh, Austin Williams was actually over six from the line on the day. Um, you just you can't do that in close games. Um, thankfully, everything else worked for Rutgers and a team that seemingly had terrible struggles uh, offensive rebounding had, but I can only imagine is their their season high with 25 offensive rebounds. They had a plus 14 margin on the boards overall in the game. Um, they Like you said, Cliff had probably his best game of the season, if I had to, to guess. Um, he was finishing, you know, more than just dunks around the rim. I mean, shooting at the cup was still an issue for the team. Um, I don't have the number in front of me, but they were still missing a fair amount of layups and putbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I thought there was just more positives from this game than basically any other game that we've had this year, uh, especially given the, the gravity of the game, given, you know, the team kind of knew their back was against the wall. If you look at their next two games, you're going to Illinois and then home against Purdue. You really don't want to start um, one in seven in the conference, which is kind of what they were staring down. So to get that mm-hmm. second conference win before this tough stretch, not only kind of saves the season in a way, but also gives them that confidence they probably will need to uh, potentially win one of the next two. Um, so just a lot of uh, lots of positives, but some of the same negatives that we've seen throughout the season. Um, now, do you think that this team is more like the team that we'll see the rest of the season, or is this more of an aberration, if you guys had to guess? I don't know if it's really an aberration because, like we said, like the, f- I mean, if they haven't been a really good free throw shooting team. I don't think up until this point, and the layups. I mean, we've harped on kind of week after week, and you know, they, they're often. They, I don't know. It's just like I think that there was there was some problems here that that persist and will cost them in future games. Like if you play against like that against Illinois or Purdue, like you're you're not, not going to win. Not not every team is going to go. You know, almost ten minutes without a field goal. Like when stuff like that happens. You have to bury teams like that. Like you saw what Michigan State did against Rutgers was Rutgers went six plus minutes, almost seven minutes with a field goal, nineteen nothing run, game over. So the fact that the fact that Nebraska went almost nine and a half minutes without a field goal and the game and they were still staring at overtime is a little bit like like you, you're ha- you know it's better than coming away with the loss, but at the same time it's like you you should probably kind of bury teams like that and like you said, like we talked about it, they probably should if they just made their free throws and just they probably would have just won this game easily, honestly. I'm going to say this is an aberration. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably not the popular take because, I mean, it was a nice win. It's a great win. Nebraska is a solid Big Ten team. They're probably, I think they're on the verge of making a tournament, if I had to guess. They're pretty close on the edge. Um, but, yeah, no, the shooting, like, even even though, like you said, Nebraska didn't make a shot for, what, nine minutes? Something like that. Um, the shooting still, like, the offense is still awful. They can't hit free throws. 50% free throw shooting is going to lose you 
at least three games this year, if not more. Um, 38% from the field, like it's still, they're still struggling. Yes, it was a better game. Yes, they rebounded pretty well. Yes, they played great defense. Um, they were dishing the rock pretty nicely. But I just, I can't see this. Like, they're still not being able to put the ball in the basket. Layups especially, like 12 of 28 yesterday on layups. Like, most games you're probably losing that. Most, most games you're probably losing shooting 50% from free throw. I can't stop harping on that. You had 30 attempts, and you only made 16 of them. They're free. And I don't expect Quiff to hit everyone because big men always struggle with the free throw line. Um, but, like, when you're, one of your starting guards is 0 of 6, and you kind of need him because he's a good rebounder, a good defender. You can't really sub them out because you really don't have another option either, which is the other issue. Um, I just I, I think this is just kind of an aberration type thing, and like it's a good win. And I do think playing at Jersey Mike's obviously helps a ton. And you're pro- you'll probably end up sneaking another win or two like this at Jersey Mike's, uh, just because of the atmosphere it brings in the, the student section and the crowd and the, just how loud the place is and the the crazy curse that's on the rims there. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think you like like a Wisconsin, for example. I'm looking at that one, and I I think they could end up pulling that one off at home. But I think most of these games, I think it's going to be extremely tough still. And the Big Ten down year, yes, but most of these teams are still probably. If you look at resumes alone, they're better than Rutgers on on the on paper at least. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you look at like the advanced analytics. I think Rutgers is still in the 90s in the net. Yeah. Same with the Bartorvik and Ken Palm. Um, I think the thing that was most concerning for me is offensively, everyone seemingly got a Jekyll to their hide. Like Austin mm-hmm. Williams is one of the better uh, finishers at the rim on this Rutgers team. And he's one of the only guys who consistently draws fouls too. Um, but he's also not a very good free throw shooter. We talked about that when we landed him. I think he's a career like 62% free throw shooter mm-hmm. and he went over six tonight. Derek Simpson, he's a guy who has a really tough time finishing. I know he had that, that really like the three shots he made were two threes and that dunk he had when he just decided to take it and blew past the, <clears throat> their, their power forward. I forget his name, but you know, he's three for 13 from the field, uh, but he's six of seven from the line. He's one of our better free throw shooters. Yeah. If a guy in like cliff who typically he's gotten a lot better with his free throws, but tonight they really hurt us. Um, I thought it was kind of concerning. We're seeing a lot less from our younger players. Um, as the Big Ten stretch kind of continues on, which you should expect, like the Big Ten is a very phys- it's the most physical conference in college basketball. But Jamichael Davis, I thought, you know, was totally missing in action out there. Gavin Griffiths had the two nice uh, threes, but he also kind of looked lost at times. He only played mm-hmm. eight minutes. Um, <clears throat> you really hope that these guys could start to develop a little bit more, um, especially you know preparing not only for the potentially the postseason, but also for next season. Um, I thought Noah Fernandes gave us some good minutes, though, which is nice because yeah. a lot of people have been uh, pouring some some dirt on him, uh, thinking that you know he's basically useless. He showed that he's a great free throw shooter. He's a guy you want on the court late in games. He can get a little too ISO heavy when you know he's trying to spark up an offense. He'll just take a shot that's probably not uh, the shot that they want him to take, but you know, if he if he hits it, it's a great shot. If it doesn't, it's a terrible shot. So it's kind of like you got to take the good with the bad sometimes with, with players who are a little bit more ball dominant. Um, but overall, I, I said it a couple times. I think there's more good than bad from this game. Uh, Mwat Mag of really elevating himself to our top offensive option, in my opinion. You know, he's in his five Big Ten games, he's averaging more than 15 points a game. He's got double digits in five straight games. 
Uh, I think he's become that reliable guy, especially inside the arc. Like he's he's the only guy who can consistently hit those those tough turnarounds, those um, you know those mid range shots that uh, we seem to really fall in love with as a team for some reason. He's one of the only guys who can consistently hit them. So um, on to Illinois. It'll be a very tough game in Champaign. Rutgers probably will be roughly a double digit underdog in that one. Illinois seems to have Rutgers number, especially in Champaign. I know we've beaten them at home, but it's seemingly like every time we go out there to them, we just get our asses handed to us. So it'll be a very, very tough game uh, this weekend in Champaign. Um, is there anything else you guys saw from the game that you thought was, was noteworthy or thought was concerning or thought was a really bright light positive that we haven't discussed already? I thought the crowd, I mean, it was a little bit lighter just because of, I think, the weather. I mean, it's icy. It's a, it's, I don't even just be careful out there because it's just so icy outside. And the fact that the season hasn't really gone the way uh, people hope for it. Was, so it was a little bit lighter, but it's still a good, I just thought it was still a good crowd, still very loud, especially when Austin Williams hit that three in the overtime. The place that was probably the loudest the place got all night. So credit to the fans because it's still, it's like you said, it's still Jersey Mike's Arena and it still plays a big part in Rutgers getting this win and maybe some more going forward. Yeah, I want I want to touch on something real quick before we uh, move on from this. But uh, the the technical foul that's his third yeah, ever, yep. um, technically second <laughs> ever, depending on what you look at. Because I believe the one in December twenty twenty against Ohio State was eventually ruled as a technical to the bench and not the Pikele. Although Pikele took the blame for it in the post game. Um, regardless, I mean that that's just like that's a really bad missed call. Like he literally grabbed. Cliff's yes. wrist, like on the attempt. Um, not even on the attempt, but on the on the, on well, the yeah, pass too. On the pass mm-hmm. too, yeah. But it's just like a, almost a double no call, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, yep. Really, really ugly. I don't blame Pike for getting mad and getting upset. Um, now that being said, I'm not going to say do it more, but I feel like you kind of gave them a little bit of juice after that. So like, it, it kind of works at times, and maybe it's just because I grew up watching. Um, Cardinal McCarrick High School down the street, and they, they made the tournament champions a couple times. But I watched their head coach, Joe Lewis, growing up, and that man, I think, might have the most ejections in New Jersey basketball history. <laughs> he, like, just, he would get pissed, and his team, he, but he had a great assistant ready to go. So maybe, <laughs> maybe Pike just needs to get ramped up and just get kicked out one game and just see what happens. <laughs> get some juices flowing. If you're down 10, fuck it. I'm going to just start yelling at some ref. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think Pike is just so well-regarded and so even-keeled a lot of the time that people, that refs kind of maybe think he's not, he doesn't got that dog in him and sometimes Mm -hmm. just needs to let that dog roam. Um, I agree. Sometimes you really need to to just let out that frustration. So Mm -hmm. not only your team knows, I'm seeing what you guys are seeing and I'm seeing it's total crap, but also so the refs, like there is often an adjustment after that. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, the refs now see like, okay, I need to kind of even score a bit. Uh, and I think we saw a little bit of that um, like throughout the rest of the game. So that technical occurred uh, with 15.39 left in the second half. So obviously the game went to overtime. So there's roughly 20 minutes left in that game. Rutgers was plus 10 scoring uh, after that moment in the game. So you could say it sparked them. I kind of want to piggyback off of that, though. I thought just like the tenacity of this team to never give up despite, you know, they were down by 12 points in the first half. They were able to, to even the score up by halftime. 
mm-hmm. and then they had another slump early in the second half. They went down by 12 again, and then were able to tie it and sent the game to overtime, and obviously they won, but it's so tough to come back from double digits, especially twice. You've already come back from double digits, and we've seen that happen in a lot of games recently where Rutgers drops to an early big lead. They kind of make it close, but then fade away in the second half. Uh, this is a game where, you know, you could preach, never give up, never give up, never give up, and the players will listen. But at some point when you keep losing, that message gets harder to listen to as a team. Mm-hmm. When you see the fruits of that come through and you see a win and you see that, you know, what coach is preaching will actually work sometimes. Not sometimes like he doesn't know what he's doing, but like you're not going to win most games. You're down by double digits, but you will win some if you just keep at it. And then this game kind of goes to show that that can happen, especially with a team that's so young and so many players are not, not that our team is young, but they're young in the Pikel system. Um, seeing that kind of that win go up on the scoreboard definitely helps, uh, so helps Pikel and the rest of the staff with oh, this yeah. team moving forward. Um, one, one more thing real quick, Craig, I need to ask you since you were there. Um, what mag when when that little tweak happened did the entire crowd just hold their breath oh, or like yeah it was a little <laughs> nervous but you could tell he, he was he was walking so it was like oh, is he okay is he not okay and then he eventually obviously came back in so it was like oh okay he's okay he's like but yeah you get nervous anytime what mag goes down because of obviously the injury history but it did mm-hmm. ended up just being a tweak so and that's that's definitely good for them because they can't afford to lose him now yeah yeah because on the broadcast it did look like a non-contact lower body injury this is your invitation to a master class in engineering and design your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the lexus performance line a feeling this dynamic is invite only fortunately you're invited experience the exhilaration of the lexus performance line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the invitation to lexus sales event now through april 1st experience amazing at your lexus dealer um but then obviously on the replay you could see he was backing up in his defensive stance and just kind mm-hmm. of like rolled his ankle so i think everybody collectively was just puckered up for that moment because it looked like <laughs> you know especially with uh yeah. you know the guy gray on the other team who had an acl uh i think coming in like before he entered college and then he had that non-contact just pushing off like running back down on defense um mm-hmm. and he knew immediately like you could tell he was you know, he didn't even try and, and make it down court. He just went right to the bench, and you feel terrible for a guy like that. But seeing that situation happen, and then Moat come out, you know, probably five minutes later, and the same similar looking thing happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a rough night for injuries for sure. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of all I got on the game. Uh, Rutgers did have quite a few visitors uh, to this game. Mm-hmm. You know, it, for those of you who, who know what we're talking about, there's. Typically, a lot of uh, the bottom left corner of the student section will be taken up by football recruits when they're in the house. And this was a night where there was a lot of recruits there. So, Rich, let's talk about uh, some of the guys who were on campus for this game. Um, talk about the level of recruit they are and uh, just in general, what, how, how good of a time they had. Yeah, so um, I guess I'll just start with the most notable one, which would probably be Charlandon Strange. Uh, he goes by Zach, Z-A-Q-Q. I don't know how you get Charlandon to Zach, but um, okay. I won't move on from that one. But a, f- a four-star defensive end from Pennsylvania. This is his third trip to campus since I think like uh, I think he's made two trips to campus this past season uh, to watch Rutgers play. 
And I think he was also on camp. Actually, it's Force Trip. And he was also on campus back in January 2023 as well. Um, he's uh, He's been to campus a ton of different times. Um, he's definitely one to keep a close eye on. He's making a decision on January 27th. Uh, the original expectation was it was going to be Syracuse. It still sounds like it probably is going to be Syracuse, but Rutgers is making a pretty good push here. Uh, we'll see what ends up what ends up happening. Um, I'm actually looking back. He was on campus for the Northwestern game, the September 30th game, which I can't remember who it was, and October 14th. So he's, he was on campus for four different or three different games, and this is his fourth in since September. So he's been to Rutgers quite a bit. Um, he's one to keep a close eye on out of Pennsylvania. The other names that came were uh, two kids out of Winslow Township, Cameron Miller who is a 2025 kid, and Nakir Helton, who's a 2026 kid. Both athlete, wide receiver, DB types. Um, I know uh, Miller's got offers from just about everyone in the country. Uh, Helton's starting to rack them up. Uh, they're, I think Miller's number seven in the state. Um, both had a really good time. I just talked to both of them. We'll have some more on that on our message board on the roundtable. Uh, and then Renick uh, Dorillis, a.k.a. Stretch Dorillis out of Union. He's been to campus a million times. I'm very close to future casting him to Rutgers, but just a little hesitant just because he wants to make a couple more visits. Um, he's going down to SEC territory at the end of the month to check out Tennessee. Um, so we'll see how that visit goes and then kind of uh, reconvene, reconvene with him. But he was at five games this past fall at Rutgers. Um, he's been to Rutgers previously. He was at a game in 2022 as well. He's a union kid. They really, I, I don't want to say they don't usually lose union kids because they did lose uh, Davison Igbenosin to Ole Miss, and then obviously it went to Ohio State. But um, for the most part, I really think there's a good chance that he's going to end up as a Scarlet Knight, and uh, he might be the next commitment when it's all said and done. It's great news. I know we have... One commitment, I believe, in the class of 25. Yes. In uh, Shane Ashenfelter, the quarterback from Florida. Uh, but oh, Sean. It might be Sean. Yeah, bad. you're right, um, Sean. No. But uh, this is kind of the, the time where commitments start to flow in for that next class, especially after the previous one is, is signed. Um, it's really the, the winter in, in spring. So uh, just stay tuned because you never know when these, these kind of commitments will start rolling in. Um, yeah. But different types of commitments are also happening right around now, transfer portal ones. Um, Rutgers mm -hmm. did not take any transfer portal visitors this past weekend uh, because they had move-ins for early enrollees and the rest of the other transfer portal commitments. What are you hearing on that front? Um, are we done? Are we still going to take some visitors? Or how's this, the rest <clears throat> of the, the portal hall going to look for Rutgers this, this uh, spring? I, uh, it sounds like they're pretty much done. Um, I guess technically they could host one this weekend and sneak them in. There's a chance. Um, they really want a tight end so badly. Like they're reaching out to a, quite a few different tight end prospects. Um, they even peeked into the Juco route a little bit um, with some guys that are getting interest there. They they need a starting tight end. Like there's no secret. Like I, I don't think they trust this unit currently. Um, Kanapka can't stay healthy, and he was kind of a little bit of a project uh, to begin with because he was a basketball player. He was a basketball commit for Army at one point. Um, Mike Higgins played some last year, but he's still not there. Logan Blake was a true freshman. I still don't think he's there yet. Uh, they they need a blocker at tight end too. Um, and there's some names out there, but no one specific that I'm really keeping too close of an eye on. And they, they'd still like to get an offensive tackle. 
or or guard. Honestly, I think you could go with either now that Reggie Sutton's returning. You can kind of mix and match. Um, I think I'd prefer to see Sutton at guard and then get a tackle. But if it works out the opposite way, I don't think they're going to be complaining too much because Sutton was serviceable at tackle. So uh, between those two, they also reached out to an edge rusher from Buffalo recently, which is uh, kind of interesting. In um, Cameron Olds, uh, he's a Virginia native. He Richmond, Virginia native. He just got an offer from Kent State. He just, I think, he just entered the portal recently. Um, there, uh, Buffalo is going to be interesting because their whole rosters can enter the portal now. Alabama's roster can enter the portal. Washington's roster, Arizona's roster. So this is where the whole transfer portal gets a little crazy because all these coaches are leaving in January and it was supposed to be closed and now it's like mm, nope not yet let's wait a second let's let's reopen it for these kids and it's like the whole thing seems to be like a mess um but yeah they're reaching out to people and they're, they're gonna I'll see if they can host anyone this weekend if if they do you'll you'll know first on the round table for them so definitely check that out but uh yeah we're just kind of in wait and see mode um sounds like tight end and uh offensive linemen are the main priorities and speaking of Buffalo, I mean, I did see some people talking on the boards about a possible Harismia going to Buffalo. Is there any shot of that, or what? What, what have you hearing there? What'd you call him? What I said? Harismia. 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 What I said? Don't 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 question me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I always get names I, right. Damn it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, We're just I like Richie. Uh, we never mess my, up names. Yeah, my pronunciations yep, yep. are are <laughs> off. Uh, no, I think Mike. I didn't have to answer that. I think Mike kind of shut that one down uh, mm. for us. Uh, the former coach, I don't even know who it was, what it was, what his name was. I think it was uh, his name something. was Mo Linguist. Oh, Mo. Yeah. I think it, uh, anyway, he was only making like seven, 750, 750 K, something like that. Mm-hmm. Harris Simeon's making now upwards of one over a mil, um, with his new contract extension. And I think, what was it maxed out at like 1.5? Yeah. So this past year, uh, <clears throat> Linguist made 685, um, and I think he was scheduled to make a little bit more this year, but Harris Simiak made a million last year. <clears throat> His new contract will pay him 1.5 in 2027. He's also got retention bonuses in there too, up 250K for each year. So um, he's almost making double what the previous uh, Buffalo head coach was. And so, I mean, it's one thing to take the same money for more responsibility, but you're not going to cut your salary in half to yeah. take on more responsibility in a very tough place to win. I know that you know Lance Leopold did it um, before mm-hmm. that. You know Buffalo's had a lot of coaches leave and get elevated. Uh, you know, uh, next jobs like a few of their coaches in a row have gotten Power Five jobs, I believe, or at least like in the last decade they've had a few. Um, but that doesn't make it any easier to win there, especially in the age of NIL. Like, there's a reason why you're seeing all these FCS coaches, head coaches, and Group of Five head coaches leave to become assistants at mm-hmm. the power five level. Like you've seen it now with, with linguist, you've seen it with, uh, Sean Lewis last year, leaving Kent state to go to Colorado to be their offensive mm-hmm. coordinator. Uh, you see it with Matt Entz, who was the head coach of San- uh, North Dakota state. He's won two national championships in five years there. He's been ranked top five in the FCS every single season. He's the coach. He just left to be the assistant head coach and linebackers coach at USC. Yeah. Um, it's just really hard to win at those levels with NIL and everything else that's happening now. So, and you make way more money being an assistant in the power five and you could potentially, you know, leverage that like Sean Lewis, uh, even though he got fired essentially as the, the offensive coordinator at, at uh, Colorado, he's the head coach at San Diego state. Now, like these mm-hmm. guys have the opportunity to really elevate themselves 
Um, it's not like they can never become a head coach again. Um, it's just an interesting new dynamic, I would say. Yeah. Now, that being said, one of the names mentioned is an interesting one for Buffalo, and it is quarterback's coach of Syracuse, Nunzio Campanelli. <laughs> yeah, that's a. That name sounds a little familiar. Um, there's three was... guarantees in life death, taxes, and the Campanellis. And so now Anthony, Campanelli Anthony, might be the, Anthony might be the next uh, defensive coordinator of the uh, Giants. It's not going to happen, I don't think. I wouldn't mind it, but I don't think that <laughs> happens. Um, but no, I think I think Nuns would be a good fit there. I'd be intrigued to see like what he does is with his staff. Um, like, do you just kind of form a North Jersey staff again and do what you did as the interim guy? Like, hey, maybe it takes Drew Lascari as his defensive coordinator because he was a DC at one point, and I think at Bosco. So, you never. You Although never know. it's in foil hat time, if Anthony does get the job with the Giants. <clears throat> Any shot he takes his brother with him. I don't think that's how that works. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Brian Dable is uh, he's in charge. He's going to hire. I think after what happened with Wink, I think he's he's done with giving his coordinators any type of hiring abilities. <laughs> but yeah, it's an interesting name. It's someone to keep an eye on. Um, Rutgers connections, you know. I actually both have Rutgers connections. If you think about it, yeah. So, That's true. A lot of Rutgers ties out there in the, in the coaching worlds, in the coaching trees of Greg Schiano. <laughs> there is. Um, is there anything else you guys wanted to touch on, uh, Rutgers related, before we, we head out of here today? Uh, no, I think it just about covers it. If uh, if they win on Sunday, maybe tournament watch back on, but I wouldn't expect it. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one. Although, although, Rutgers has a nice little break, whereas Illinois does not. Um, Illinois will be playing, I think, tonight or tomorrow. Illinois plays tonight against Michigan, and then we'll reconvene at, and they're away, and then they have to go back home and play Rutgers on Sunday, whereas Rutgers has until Sunday to take their little break. So maybe they figure out free throw shooting by then. <laughs> and layups. Yeah, Rutgers looks like, uh, <clears throat> Bartorvik projects them to be a 13 point dog at <clears throat> Illinois. I, I'd imagine Ken Palm's similar, um, so would not expect that win. But hear me out. That's if, why they play if, the games. If you're a betting man and you're in outside the state of New Jersey, you might, you might sprinkle a little just to see a little money line. Just maybe to see what maybe happens. tease it. Give it a little tease. Yeah, give it a little, like here's here's five bucks and see what happens. <laughs> it's probably like plus what plus two fifty plus three hundred at least. Uh, they would probably be more like. Plus five hundred. Oh, then definitely sprinkle, line. sprinkle, sprinkle a little five dollars on there. See what happens. Yeah. And, and come back <laughs> to me and donate to this show if you did. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to mention: Rutgers wrestling has a big uh, weekend yes. out in Michigan. They're wrestling Michigan State on Friday night in East Lansing, and they're they're wrestling uh, Michigan on Sunday at one p.m. in Ann Arbor. That's one of the <laughs> game. That's one of the matches that I know that Goodell <clears throat> has circled on his schedule. You built mm-hmm. this team to to really be a great dual uh, team this year. Michigan's having a bit of a down year. Um, they're ranked 11th. Rutgers is ranked 13th now in the latest uh, rankings. I think it's Intermat rankings. Um, mm-hmm. So this will be a, a very winnable match for Rutgers. I don't have the breakdown of uh, you know where we have our advantages at, but the last time I looked, Rutgers has seven of its wrestlers ranked. 
I believe uh, five of those wrestlers are in the top like 11 of their weight class. Mm-hmm. So this is a lineup that has a lot of firepower. And depending on the matchup, you know, there's always going to be in these kind of matchups, two to three kind of swing matches that if you win two of them, you probably can win the match. But otherwise, uh, it's going to be a, a really good one. Uh, and it starts a string of uh, four straight matches for Rutgers where they're wrestling top uh, 20 opponents in Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio State, and Penn State. So it's a great opportunity for the program to really have a, a you know a moment this year in terms of dual matches. So uh, mm-hmm. that'll be on Big Ten Plus. Both of those matches will be on Big Ten Plus uh, if you're trying to watch as well. Yeah, I'm not going to say that this uh this Michigan team might be gassed, but they play or they wrestle, I shouldn't say play. They wrestle Penn State on Friday. So That's brutal. That could help a little bit in Rutgers favor. So you, Yeah, you no, it'll know. it'll help them for sure. It's uh <laughs> Penn State is just a force of nature. They're yeah, just an incredible squad, but uh something insane. But if you, I'm looking at the projected lineup since I guess we won't really be doing uh, a preview pod or anything, but um, just to go through it real quick, number 125 is going to be number 13 versus number 5. Number 133 is going to be 8 versus 6. 141 is 11 versus 25. 149 is unranked versus number 6. 157, number 29 versus... What did I say? 157 uh, versus number 9. Like there, There's some really good matchups. Like And then the, the, he- the upper weights, like... 20 verse 15, 9 verse 32, 4 verse 7. Like, there's some really good ones. Shane Griffith's going to go against Jackson Turley, potentially, who Jackson Turley's been on fire lately. And Shane Griffith, we, we all know, was the kid that everyone was drooling about when he was in the portal this past season. So it's it's going to be an interesting one on Sunday specifically. Um, I think they should be able to handle business against Michigan State, and they should be able to pull that one off relatively easy. But... Sunday's the matchup. It's I, I can't I can't believe that that's not on like BTN or something. I can't believe it's BTN plus. Like, yeah, a um, lot of lot of ranked matchups there. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Rutgers should have an advantage. At handful of weight classes. Michigan will have a handful where they have an advantage, and the rest will be uh, the matches that determine who wins. Um, yeah, it'll probably be the first match I watch from start to finish this year, personally. Yeah, should be a good one. Wait and see what happens, but uh, try to get some more wrestling content for you guys. All right. Well, thanks once again, everyone, for listening. Uh, this has been another edition of the Nevermore Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.